You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, it's a very odd situation to be in because on one hand, um, there's almost nothing to talk about. On the other hand, there's a ton to talk about. Um, Joe Barry's replacement has not officially been found yet, at least as of this recording. I should probably go check online and see if I missed something. But um, lots of movement, and as I've been looking around, I've kind of had some thoughts and some questions, comments, concerns, uh, looked into some stuff, especially one particular person, because it was supposedly a, a lock. It was like a guarantee this guy was getting hired. Now it's looking like he's probably not going to get hired. I don't know. But um, again, if you if you didn't hear yesterday on uh, last night's show or whatever, I did not intend to be out of commission for this long. Um, the first couple of days, I was kind of just waiting on the announcement, and then I was going to do kind of a, a quick update podcast or whatever, and the announcement never came. And then uh, family got hit pretty hard by the norovirus and uh, was laid up for several days. Very, very sick. And now I'm back and I'm feeling great, feeling good. Not 100% healthy yet, but um, healthy enough to sit in a chair and look at updates and do a podcast. And I'm feeling so good being able to do it. So the first thing I want to start with is this, and this one even kind of shocked me a little bit. And I'm going to have to semi-retract some of the, uh, the comments I've made on the podcast. I say semi-retract because in a large sense, it's still very true, but um, I'm, I'm kind of stunned by some of the stuff that I found. So the, the, the comments I'm referring to are basically saying, I don't care about scheme, I care about the coaches. And more specifically, what it seems like I may have been just completely incorrect about, because I just assumed it was true, is that it's not this Fangio scheme that doesn't work, because there are other guys that are running it and it's working. It's just that we don't have the right guy doing it. That was me just using shorthand based on what I felt must be true, and I apologize, because apparently that is very untrue. So this is all started by uh, Clint, who is at pack underscore rules 1978. He says, I don't understand why everyone seems to be uh, panning this idea. Staley was a heck of a DC, just a bad head coach. If Miami and LA want him, that should be a good sign as those are progressive organizations. And so I kind of wanted to elaborate on why I was out on Staley. I'd done it a little bit on the podcast, um, but I, I just wanted to elaborate. And here's what I said. And the first part is kind of where I got to. And then as I looked even more into it, I was like, holy crap. I said, I don't know if he's bad, but I also don't know if he's good. He was a defensive coordinator for one year. The Rams were good for that one year, but they were trending that way before and they stayed there after. So the Rams defense went from 16th to seventh, and then third. Staley was there when they were third. So they did go from seventh to third, which is great, but they already went from 16th to seventh to third. They were trending that way. Then he got hired away, and in 2021, somebody else took over. I think it was Desai. I don't feel like looking it up, but I think so. And they were third again. So it's hard to argue that this guy is the reason they jumped from seventh to third, which again, they were already a very good defense and trending in that direction. But also, if you remove him, they're just as good. So I can't call you a good defensive coordinator. Certainly know you're a bad coach. I don't know if you're a good defense. You've only done it one year. And you were handed a system that works. And you were essentially tasked with, just do exactly what we did last year. Right, just do the same stuff. We're running the same scheme. 
same principles, same everything, just redo everything. And it was fine. And, and, and that's what Desai, I think that's who it was, was asked to do also. And it worked again. But in 2022, it completely fell off. And then in 2023, also it fell off. Anyways, I'm, I'm elaborating too much. Continuing on with my tweet, I said, he went on to be the head coach that presided over a horrific defense. Then I said, and this is where I really dug in because I was like, I, I wonder how the Fangio defenses are doing. And so what I did, I literally went through every single defense. I looked at every single defensive coordinator and I looked at their tree and I wanted to see if there was overlap between them and Fangio or anybody like Fangio. And I came up with six defenses. And here's what I went on to say. Beyond that, I don't think we've seen a Fangio disciple in the top 10 of a defense since 2021. Think about that. We've had six defenses this year, probably more than that, or let's just call it a six again last year. Not one of them was top 10 in two years. That's staggering. Oh, and you know what? It wasn't. It was Raheem Morris. That's who it was. I, I wrote it in the tweet. It wasn't uh, Desai. It was Raheem Morris. And, and that was the one top 10 in 2021, which was a continuation of this, this defense that was very, very good. But after that, everybody fell off. Here are the six 2023 defenses that I'm aware of. Maybe I missed one, but I don't think so. I'll go in reverse order. The worst defense, and this is via DVOA, was the Eagles. They were 29th under Desai. Now think about that. The Eagles actually had a very good defense in 2022. They decided they want to go with a Fangio disciple. They hire Sean Desai, and they drop to 29th, and the entire Eagles team falls apart. They were trash this past year, despite being in the Super Bowl the year before, almost entirely because of the defense. Then you have the Packers with Joe Barry at 27th. The Chargers, which was sort of a, a, a twofer because you've got Staley as the head coach and then Ansley was the defensive coordinator, or Ainsley, however you say his name. They were 26th. Another one that shocked a lot of people, including myself, although it shouldn't be because it was a terrible football team. The Panthers with a Jiro Evero were 25th, which you're like, well, I mean, obviously, because they have a bad team. I'm not so sure I want a Jiro Evero anymore. I need to know that this scheme is even going to work before I go out and try to find the best proponents of it. Because here's the thing. I don't even know that Evero's the best. Fangio might be the best, and we haven't gotten there yet. So I'll tell you what the best version of this looks like. Then you have the Rams with Morris. They were 22nd. This is the same defense that a couple years ago was third. Well, they lost a couple guys. Bro, they didn't have that many guys in 2020. They got Aaron Donald and some corners. Everything else pretty much sucked. They haven't had an edge rusher for the, the Rams haven't had an edge rusher in like a decade. <laughs> and then the man himself, Vic Fangio in Miami, their defense ranked 19th. Almost every single one of the worst defenses was a Fangio defense. So let me just refine what I was saying before, because I stand by the fact that it's not scheme as much as it's coach, because you can have a bad coach running a great scheme and it's going to suck. I don't know that it's 100% the other way around, though. You can have a good, uh, a good defensive coordinator that can do the best he can do with the scheme that he has, and maybe that'll end up being great. But I do think that there is a, a, a certain element of, I mean, we know this, that the NFL ebbs and flows. And for, for several years, let's call it two, three years, or maybe even since 2018 with Chicago, so 2018 through 2020, so 18, 19, 20, well, I guess that's only three years, this was the defense to run. Or no, 2021 also, they were third, the, the Rams were at least. But what happens? If this is the defense that stops all the offenses, what are you going to do? The number one goal of offenses in the NFL is to destroy this style of defense. And, and listen, if you're the Packers, first of all, you run this defense and your defense sucks. Second of all, when was the last time you struggled to beat the Rams? Like never? 
You went up against the Panthers and Ajero Evero. Now, that wasn't a great performance, but it certainly had nothing to do with our offense being unable to move against their defense. Was that a complicated defense to play against? I don't think so. Then I put in another example here. I said, don't forget the Vikings were 24th with Donatel because they wanted a Fangio guy. And after one year, they decided to move on to Flores and they jumped to 11th. So in 2020, so that was another guy. We had last year, they had a Fangio guy in Minnesota. They went out and got Donatel. They plummeted to one of the worst defenses in football. They said, screw this guy after one year, got rid of him, scrapped the whole Fangio thing, went with Flores, which is a completely different scheme, and they jumped up to 11th. And they don't have very much on defense either. And so I ended the tweet with, the Fangio defense may have had its day. So I'm, 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 I'm basically doing a 180 on this. And, and, and again, I, I fully have acknowledged that you know, defenses have gone in the tank. I just didn't think that the Fangio defense was just dead. And maybe it's not, but this is, this is massively damning. You have one defense out of six in the top 20, and it's Fangio at 19th. I'm sitting here wondering if the Eagles made a massive mistake by bringing Fangio in there. And again, maybe not, and maybe there'll be a resurgence, and maybe it's just, well, the Rams don't have players, and the Panthers don't have players, and the Chargers don't have players, and, well, I mean, Miami, the Packers, and the Eagles do, and they all sucked, but, you know, (laughs) And again, there's also seems to be a clear path between if you get rid of a Fangio guy and go in a different direction like Minnesota, massive improvements. I I just, I'm all the way off the train. If if you could tell me Vic Fangio or Jiro Evero could come here, I don't want them. I don't want them. I don't because I don't even know what the best version of this defense even gives us anymore. Because again, if you're telling me Fangio is the best at this or even a Giro Evero, what are we getting? The 15th best defense? We're going to jump from what, 27th to, to, to 17th? That's not what I want. So I do think that there are a lot of different ways that you can play defense and you can be successful. And I think they're, we're seeing that right now. The top five defenses aren't all the same defensive schemes. So I don't think they're, ha- it's not a matter of, Higher for scheme, it's a matter of higher for coach. I still stand by that 100%. But I do think that you need to be very cautious about schemes that offenses have learned to destroy. And I'm starting to think that Fangio's defense is absolutely one of those. Because again, I have not seen a single example of a successful Fangio defense since 2021. And that is staggering at this point. And the fact that the Packers are potentially even considering going in that direction makes me nervous. Now, it does sound like Staley's completely out. I don't know. We'll see. But just based on who the Packers are interviewing, it does sound like they're going in the direction of young guys that are more, um, you know, up-and-comers in terms of their their ability to be modern and be sort of the innovators of the day, as opposed to the regurgitators. Staley is the one example, and it, it doesn't sound like there was anything really serious there, and it sounds like Staley is potentially going back to the Rams. We'll see which again, I think would be a mistake for the Rams. I get it from the standpoint of, hey, we had Staley and everything was great. Yes, I get that. But then you had another guy that ran the same defense and it was great. And then the next year, everything fell apart. You want him to come back and and keep doing what you've been doing unsuccessfully for two years? Cool, go for it, I guess. I mean, I guess we can just throw Raheem Morris under the bus as though he sucked, even though he had the third-ranked defense the very next year. He did exactly as good of a job as Staley did. One year at third, that's it. Anyway, what, I mean, what I, I don't want the Rams to be good, so I couldn't give a crap. I'm just saying for everybody that called in or messaged me or whatever, and there was like, I don't want the, fan, or the, the, the Fangio scheme or any of that stuff anymore. I retract everything I've said before. I am in agreement. I don't think that works anymore. I just don't. You can't give me two full seasons of a defense that is supposedly the best in the NFL, and you can't even give me a top 15 defense in two years. 
In fact, almost all the worst defenses are there. Ah, sorry, no, nope, not doing it, not interested. But this is also where you come into number one. I want a guy that can, that that can and is looking to do the things that we feel is is stopping NFL offenses, but also innovators, right? Because things are going to continue to change. And so even if we get, let's say the Ravens have the best defense, dope. So we go out and get Orr. And what does Orr do? He comes in and he runs the Ravens defense. And let's just say he does a good job of that, which isn't a guarantee, right? He's going to be a defensive coordinator. And instead of just like motivating linebackers, he's got to actually like draw plays and call plays during games and all that stuff. And let's say he does a great job. Great. Next question is, in three years, every offense is going to be able to beat that defense. What's, what's, what's up next? What are we doing now? I don't know. This is all I know how to do. All right, then I guess you're getting fired. And the problem is he's not going to get fired because the defense is just going to start to suck and we're not going to know why. And we're going to try to do things and draft guys. And it's going to be a year or two of sucking before we move on. So that's where sort of that next level comes in of people with a lot of different experiences that they can draw on to say, this is what offenses are doing. And this is how you counter what those offenses are doing to be able to see what defenses are doing and incorporate little bits of that and say, okay, so, you know, these types of things seem to be working. I, I, we can do that. So we'll incorporate a little bit of that into what we do here so that we, I mean, we don't have to replace you. We can just continue moving on. Now, granted, if somebody's really good at that, they're probably going to get hired away as a head coach somewhere. But if you're asking me, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Find a guy that is very good at doing the things that are working today, but more importantly, understands fundamentals such that it's not regurgitating a scheme that works. It's understanding what works and why it works so that it can be incorporated in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and has the ability to look at offenses and defenses and see what direction we're moving. And this is the thing, you don't even necessarily, I say innovator, you don't even necessarily need to be. You just need to be intelligent enough to recognize the things that are working. Even if other people are the ones innovating it, fine, steal it. But don't just sit here and keep running the same crap that isn't working. Go steal somebody else's ideas. Dang, man, the, the, the Ravens are having a lot of success, and here's why. Here's what they're doing that complicates things. Sweet, we're stealing it. I don't give a crap. Just keep this thing humming. Innovating would be great. If you want to be the first one that does it that people steal from, cool. We get like one or two weeks of being better than everybody before everybody steals from us. That's fine. But you just need to be fluid. You need to be able to adapt. You need to be able to change with the times. And this is where, and we'll talk about this as we get into some other candidates, I really, another, another thing I like, so I like the young guys that are kind of ascending. And the reason I like that is because there are some people out there that are going to be very brilliant. I want to find out who those people are, right? Because there's guys that are already brilliant and they already have jobs, right? <laughs> those guys are taken. Find the next brilliant guy, not, not somebody that's three levels down. You know, like you got Fangio and then Fangio's, uh, you know, guy got hired away and then Fangio's second guy got hired and then his third guy. And then, you know, this guy, well, he didn't work with Fangio, but he worked with this guy who worked with Fangio. So we're going to hire him. And it's like, this is so dumb. We're hiring just regurgitators and I don't want that. Go find your undiscovered Fangio or as a lot of people like to say, get the, get the, the, the defensive version of Matt LaFleur. Go get them before everybody else, else you know, I don't want to say under, you know, there's a lot of guys that are already been discovered. Be the one that gets them. So anyways, why don't we take a break? I want to start looking at uh, some of the names and kind of where we stand in terms of the, um, the interviews and whatnot. What has been reported? What is rumor? What has actually happened? And then possibly look into these particular candidates a little bit closer. So we'll take a break. We'll be right back. 
We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so let me see if I can kind of, the best way to go through this would be, so I think if we went in order of when we learned everything, I'm going to try to go from that route. The very first was Brandon Staley. This news, as far as I can tell, came across at 9 in the morning on January 26th. So this is, you know... Right after everything went down, this is Friday, first thing in the morning. And immediately, I thought, oh, crap. And again, this is shortly before I went through and found out how much I really hate this idea. But just in general, I didn't like it because Staley presided over a terrible defense, number one. And I understand he's not the defensive coordinator, but if you're a brilliant defensive mind and you're a head coach, you should at least have a defense that's working. But then beyond that, again, we're kind of, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, I didn't love that idea. It's hard to necessarily call him a retread because, again, he was only a defensive coordinator once and it seemed to work, so I, eh, whatever. As of right this second, all the way out on it. But at the time, it was like, eh, I don't really like it, but maybe it'll be okay, I don't know. And although I, I, I wasn't all the way in on Scheme to begin with, I was kind of hoping to go in a little bit of a different direction because I at least knew that none of the top five defenses, and I didn't think any of the top ten defenses, had this scheme in it. So I was kind of hoping for something different, although I was willing to be okay with, you know, whatever, so long as long as they can make it work. Whatever. But again, then shortly after, it was like, nope, 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 all the way done. The next one that I'm aware of came from Mike Garofolo that same day, Friday at 1 o'clock p.m., and that was they had requested permission to interview linebackers coach Bobby Babich for the defensive coordinator job. Oh, and, and by the way, again, as I mentioned, I think Staley is interviewing with the Rams, and it's... There's some optimism that that's probably where it's going to go. Although it's entirely possible we're about to get an announcement. Staley is our new defensive coordinator, and I'm just going to freaking weep. Now, we've talked about this one as well, and I mentioned that he seems to be sort of a young up-and-comer. 
And um, I didn't really have anything against Buffalo's defense. The only thing that made me nervous is that if his dad wasn't on staff, I don't know that he would have gotten the job. Now, obviously, he's got to be somewhat competent to get the job. I'm not just saying it's pure nepotism, but I just wonder if you remove his his dad from the equation, where's he working? Is he still in college? What's he doing? Well, Bobby Babich was promoted by the Buffalo Bills to be their defensive coordinator. So obviously that whole nepotism thing, right out the window. Because even his dad was not the defensive coordinator. So, so they are really impressed with him as a young, intelligent defensive mind. And I don't even know what happened in terms of the interview. As far as I know, he never actually interviewed with the Packers. They requested permission. And maybe for all I know, the Bills met with him decided, you know what, nope, we're not even going to let you do it, or you know, not that they can necessarily stop him, but they they made him an offer or were at least in talks to kind of prevent that, so I don't know. Maybe we miss on one with Bobby Babich, I don't know, but we don't have to worry about it because that one's already out the door, but that's the heck of a ringing endorsement when the team that you're potentially being poached for decides that they're going to keep you as their own defensive coordinator. So then after that, within just a matter of a couple minutes, it was reported that Green Bay, the Rams, and Atlanta sought permission to speak to Cowboys defensive line coach uh, Aiden Durd. Now, again, requested permission to speak to is very different than we're going to fly him out to Green Bay. He walked in the door. We sat down at a table. We had a long discussion. We went through all kinds of tests and scheme and this and that and getting to know and meet people and shake hands and then having to make a decision whether or not we want the guy. This is simply picking up the phone and saying, hey, we'd like to talk to this guy if at all possible. So this one, again, I think we talked about it, but somewhat of an unusual one. He is 44 years old, which is kind of on the older end of the young coaches. I don't know exactly where your cutoff would be, but I'm kind of looking 45, 50 as being sort of the cutoff for being a young coach. He's at 44, but very weird path. Um, he was a player, played mostly out in, in uh, the UK, Played in 2005 for the Panthers and 2008 for the Chiefs. Otherwise, he was out in the UK playing football. Uh, ten years later, out, outside of, the, uh, of playing football, he comes back and is the defensive quality control coach for the Falcons, then becomes the outside linebacker coach for the Falcons, and then defensive line coach for Dallas from 2021 through the present. That obviously is Dan Quinn. So, you know, positives and negatives. On one hand, you look at it and say he doesn't have a lot of experience. On the other hand, the fact that he doesn't have a lot of experience really speaks to how highly he must be regarded, because there's a lot more guys that have had a lot more experience than that. Also, as I'll get into when we get into another prospect that was supposedly like a done deal for like 48 straight hours until it just became not a done deal, is my appreciation for job titles like quality control. And I think the reason I disregarded it for a long time is quality control is just seen as like a lesser title. So quality control is like some scrub job. I don't know when you suck and you don't know what you're doing, your quality control. Then you become like a position coach. Then you become like a, um, a phase coach, you know, like the, the run game, the pass game. Then it's offensive defensive coordinator. Then it's head coach. And that's sort of the hierarchy. And although that's that's true, if you look at it from a standpoint of, of generally the, the path that you go and also just how much they get paid. I mean, quality control, you're making like 40 grand a year, you know, uh, outside linebackers coach probably making like 200 grand a year. Like it's, it's a big freaking difference. But still, I think there's a lot of value in spending time as a defensive quality control coach or defensive assistant, if you will. I remember a while ago watching something about Bill Belichick, and I don't remember the guy, but there was a guy... He must have been 90 years old. He was in some old dusty vault and he had these big books with all the tabs in them and he'd open them up. And I think that's what he was. I think he was a defensive quality control guy or whatever. But they talked about how 
critical he was to what Bill Belichick did in, in making their defenses successful. But you've got sort of two sides of the coin, and I don't know if it's strictly split up this way, maybe it's different for different teams, but whether you are quality control or a defensive assistant, you're looking at, at sort of potentially two different things here, or all in one, doesn't matter. But you've got two different um, ways to look at preparation. One is like real early on, helping to break things down, breaking down the scheme of, the, of your opponent getting deep into the analytics and all the different things so you know inside and out about your opponent, you know, self-scouting, understanding your own scheme, understanding the, the, the league and all these different things. It's really breaking things down to a fundamental level. And then on the opposite side is the implementation. A lot of these guys do help implement. They're, they're sort of like position coaches in a way in that they understand exactly what the implementation is supposed to be and they make sure that the players are on board with the current plan and that they understand everything and what's being asked of them. So when you look at what a, what a coach or a coordinator, especially at the high end, is supposed to do, I would say it's, in a way, almost more of the quality control slash defensive assistant role than it is a position coach role. Because it's, it's more big picture, and it's about breaking down opponents, it's about self-scouting, it's about game planning, how do we best put together a plan to beat our opponent, and it's about implementation, not just toward a position, but toward the entire defense. It's how do we implement our entire plan across all positions against this opponent. So I really like guys that spend a lot of time in these sort of quality control roles, even though it's less flashy than like, you know, defensive line coach or something. But aside from that, it's really difficult to determine how good or not this person would be. Now, I haven't heard any updates about him as far as accepting jobs or even getting any interviews, like any solid interviews. There were three teams that were interested in him. One of them went in a different direction. The other two are the Packers and the Rams. The Packers are now interviewing Ravens guys, and the Rams are now interviewing, as I said, um, I already forgot his name. Who cares? Chargers coach. <laughs> Staley. So just based on that, I would kind of think maybe it's a little early, and that's been kind of the determination, right? They wanted to get their they wanted to get their hands on him, maybe kind of see where he's at, see if maybe he could make that big of a jump, but maybe it's a little bit early. I don't know. Then came the big news. That same day, and it was silent for about four days after that, but then came the big news. The Packers, this is Ian Rappaport, have interviewed, so that's already kind of a big deal, rising Broncos DB coach Christian Parker for their vacant defensive coordinator job, sources said. Just 32 years old, Parker has impressed. Now, I don't know the exact timeline in terms of whether this or the other reports came out, but they were Packers guys talking about they have sources on the inside that have said basically as soon as he steps off the plane, the Packers have an inter that they have a job offer waiting for him. Now, I have to assume that was not necessarily true or correct. And that obviously isn't to say anybody was lying. I, I just think we're playing a game of telephone that is, um, let's just say by the time it gets to me, I'm skeptical. I heard from somebody who heard from somebody, and I don't know who that somebody is or how close they actually are to things. For all I know, this is a guy who's a janitor who overheard something the other day that thought he, you know, I, I, I'm just saying, I have no idea where this stuff is coming from. But if you tell me the Packers are going to offer this guy a job as soon as he gets off the plane, it's going to be done. And it wasn't done. I saw something to the effect of, well, there's contingencies. And I suppose that could be true insofar as the Packers had an offer, and it was an offer that, that the defensive coordinator didn't necessarily like. And I could see that potentially being a thing. Number one, the compensation could be relatively low based on his inexperience. And there could also be some level of control that the team wanted over, for example, the coaching staff. Now, hopefully that isn't, we want to keep these coaches, whatever, but it could be insofar as 
you know, we just don't necessarily trust you to come in and hire your own staff, which I wouldn't like anyways. If you want to hire somebody, they should be able to hire all their own people. And if you don't trust them to do that, you shouldn't trust them to be a defensive coordinator, which is why I don't think that that was a contingency. But is it possible that there was something in there about these things that he didn't necessarily like and so he wanted to weigh his options? Maybe. And, and, and then there's also talk about maybe the contingency with the other direction in terms of, you know, they offered him a job and he said, OK, but I want this, this and this. And the Packers weren't necessarily comfortable with it. But even that is like, what, what is he asking for? We're talking about the same things here where he's like, OK, but I want to bring in my own staff. And they said, what? No. So I don't know. I may, maybe if they end up hiring the guy, we'll get a little bit more information what happened. Um, but the fact that it didn't happen over the next like 48 hours, I realized that something was wrong because that doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's when I ended up, um, sending out a tweet that essentially was, you know, maybe there is a deal done and they just haven't announced it yet, or we just haven't found out about it yet. But I think it would make a lot of sense if maybe somebody in green Bay talked some sense into somebody like, look, we are maybe 24 hours away from the Ravens losing a game. And if they do, we could bring in some Ravens like into the facility and see if we want them to be defensive court. Like, let's not jump on this when we have opportunities waiting for us. And some people are like, well, that just because they're in the playoffs doesn't mean they couldn't have done this all along. Well, it kind of does. I understand that guys have done interviews, but I have to assume when you're preparing for a massive game, the most you're going to get is a quick Zoom call. You are not flying. So I would assume you are not flying somebody out to the facility to spend the day. I'm sorry, but if I'm the Ravens or if I'm the Lions and one of my coaches comes to me and they're like, hey, could I leave and like come back later tomorrow to help you prepare for this massive playoff game to get us into the Super Bowl because I might want to go work somewhere else? I'm borderline about to fire you on the spot for being such a douchebag. Like if, if I didn't need you here so desperately, you would be fired. So go into that room, do your quick Zoom call and get back in here. We have a lot of work to do. And if you freaking open your mouth about that one more time, I'm going to smack you. So again, all that to say, yes and no on them being able to do interviews. And, and beyond that, you can't hire any of them. So even if these guys have been doing interviews, which they have been, and somebody likes them, they're not going to accept a job because they already have a job. You're not going to hear before the game, like on Saturday, oh, by the way, this coach has accepted a job with a new team. Like, um, what? And essentially, that's what happened. Within you know 24 hours of the Ravens losing, we hear about multiple guys coming to Green Bay. We'll get to that in a minute. But anyways... Let's talk about this guy here, Christian Parker, because this is the guy we all spent a ton of time learning about because we all thought he was going to be the defensive coordinator and then that didn't happen. So one of the things I learned through this cycle is that the next time around when we're looking for somebody to fill these roles, the number one thing to do is to reach out to the other 31 teams and just ask them, who are the rising stars? Because they know who they are. There have been Broncos fans praising Christian Parker for a very long time. And that's maybe a little foreign to us because we don't do that here. I mean, the, the only time I can think of anything even close to that might have been like Stenovich with the offensive line. But even that, I don't know that any of us were talking about offensive coordinator. We were just saying he's really good with offensive linemen. So just as an example, I want to give you a couple examples. But um, here is something. This is Pat McAfee from October 16th of 2023. So this is well before anybody was talking about you know, Christian Parker going out and doing stuff as like a, a Packers defensive coordinator or anything like that. There was rumblings that, hey, you get Aaron over here, going to win a Super Bowl. Then they get Russ. Talking about Denver. Over there, going to win a Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. That has not been the case. No. And there's rumblings right now, rumors. Oh. Rumors. What? I don't want to talk about it too loud. 
because who knows what's real and what isn't. But like, the Broncos might be making a change at DC allegedly. What? Whoa! I don't know when. I don't know when. I'm just getting words, messages <laughs> sent to me. Okay. You know what I mean? And it might be, uh, might be old Good Teeth himself. Okay, so they were talking about in October, potentially there's going to be a change at defensive coordinator. Now he's talking about Rex Ryan. That's irrelevant. This was quote tweeted by Cody Rourke. Here's what Cody Rourke's uh, title is or whatever. Talks about the NFL for a living, lead Denver Broncos beat reporter for Mile High Sports, host of Locked On Broncos, uh, et cetera, et cetera. He quote tweeted this and just said, Christian Parker. In other words, he's on board with changing defensive coordinators and he wants the new defensive coordinator to be Christian Parker. Let me just go through real quick some information about Christian Parker. So again, Christian Parker is 32 years old. Dude was born in 1991. He was a DB coach for Virginia State for two years, DB coach for Norfolk State for two years. Then he was a defensive analyst for Notre Dame. Then he was a defensive analyst for Texas A&M. Then he was defensive quality control coach for the Green Bay Packers for 2019 and 2020. Again, just two years. Then he got poached to be the DB coach for the Denver Broncos from 2021 to the present. And in that time, he was the DB coach for three different defensive coordinators. We can get back into the nuance of that for a little bit, but I just, just to say he has very little experience, right? DB coach for some very small schools. Then he was an analyst, which again is a pretty low ranking thing for, for two colleges and, and just for one year apiece, right? Bigger programs, but a small role. Then he just cracked basically the NFL on a low-ranking thing, which is defensive quality control, and that was for the Packers. And then he just got his first crack at being a uh, position coach, and he did that for three years for a Broncos team that has not been very good. So I, I say all that to say it seems odd to me, and this is why, again, if, if, we, if I could do this all over again, and the next time around, I hope I remember, reach out to the fan bases because they know. Because Christian Parker, what are you talking about? He's your DB coach, and he's never done anything. Then there was this. There was this thing from uh, November 29th of 2023. Uh, throw the damn ball. I've talked about him before. He's a big analytics guy. He, um, I wish Twitter wasn't broken every second. Um, he posted a chart, and it's a look at how well cornerbacks have done preventing separation, all coverage snaps included, and how often they get targeted. So it's just a XY thing. On the uh, X-axis, you have percentile separation prevented. And then on the y-axis, target percentage. So obviously target percentage is pretty easy to figure out. Percentile separation prevented. A little bit confusing sounding, but really it's just what? What percentage of the time do you prevent the person across from you from gaining any separation? And the fact of the matter is you've got some really well-known names up here, but you also just have a bunch of guys that maybe not as much. And there's groups based on teams, and one of them is the Broncos. So three of the top guys were Fabian Moreau, Patrick Sertan, and Jaquan, or Jaquan McMillan. Don't even know how to say the guy's name. And you have a quote tweet from co-founder of o, uh, Orange and Blue Network, host of Get Bucked Game Day Show, host of Orange and Blue Breakdown, whatever. He says, I told y'all Broncos have the best secondary in the NFL. PS2, McMillan, and Moreau all chart near the top. Christian Parker will be a defensive coordinator next year. November 29th of last year, you had a Broncos person quote tweeting a chart showing how good all the Broncos corners were, at least as far as these metrics are concerned. There's certainly other metrics that are not very flattering and saying, I told you this guy was good. Christian Parker will be a defensive coordinator next year. 
You've got somebody else. Um, this is uh, co-host of Let's Talk Broncos, blah, blah, blah. Former senior writer, editor of Mile High Sports. He quote tweeted the same thing and said Christian Parker is the truth with 17 H's. Sometimes I wish people would actually sound out what they're typing. Because I get what you're trying to do. First of all, like the truth is a stupid thing to say. You shouldn't say that anyways. You sound dumb no matter what. But I mean, just say it out loud. It, Christian Parker is the truth. <laughs> like, did you really want to like enunciate the <laughs> for a long time? Is it even like, do you hold the TH sound? Because it's just H for a long time. So it's like the truth. <sighs> I don't know even know what you would want to do. Like maybe you do the U. So it'd be the truth. But I mean, it's, it's like, what is this? The WWE? You sound like an idiot no matter what. Actually sound out what you're typing and see if you sound like an idiot. Because you probably do. But anyways, again, another writer slash podcaster for the Broncos who sees a chart and doesn't doesn't talk about, dude, Patrick Sertan is the guy. That's what Packer fans would do. They'd look at a chart and they'd go, oh, what's up, Carrington Valentine? What's up, Dontavian Wicks? We don't look at that and go, hey, who's the coach that made this happen? You, yeah, he's going to be an offensive coordinator. We don't even think about that. But for Broncos fans, it's like freaking Christian Parker, man. This guy is, he's something else. Here's another one. Um... This is actually a Packers guy, but he was commenting on it. He says, Christian Parker has been Patrick Sertan's only DB coach, and Sertan is one of the best corners in the NFL. Justin Simmons is three for three in Pro Bowl appearances with Parker as his position coach. So people have been in the know about this guy for a long time, and and you even have Broncos fans who have been hoping their defensive coordinator gets let go so that they could promote this 32-year-old DB coach. And this is where I, I, I had even talked about who was it? The guy in Miami. It's like, it doesn't make any sense outside of the fact that people over there, they know how good that guy is and how much he's liked. So here are a couple thoughts I had on Christian Parker. On the positive side, again, he's obviously very well liked. In fact, there was actually reports that, you know, when Green Bay had him as the defensive quality control coach, that was under Mike Pettin, right? So then when Denver in 2021 brought in Fangio. Fangio somehow knew about this guy, and they decided that they wanted him, and apparently the Packers tried really, really, really hard to not let him go. So they knew that they had kind of a star in the making, and although they weren't really prepared to make him something more, which maybe had something to do with Joe Barry, you know, I I don't know, either not wanting him or something, who knows. But the Packers apparently were really upset to have lost him. And so this is sort of their opportunity to potentially get him back. And um, obviously the only real way to do that is to give him a bigger role, which doesn't necessarily have to be defensive coordinator. But And by the way, it's not out of the realm of possibility that if we do go in a different direction that we could still bring him in as a, as a different position. That's probably not going to happen. But if, he, if DC is off the table, does he want to stay in Denver? Eh, would you? And so you've got a guy that's really young, clearly is a very, very talented defensive mind, right? Because I don't know why else we'd be having this conversation. We know that he's very liked by the players, which is important. Certainly not the most important thing, but it's important. But I also think one of the things that is being incorrectly reported that that I would be upset to find out was true is that he's a Fangio guy. To call him a Fangio guy seems wildly irresponsible and understand a lot of the time when I went through and I looked at guys scheme and what they might be bringing to the table 
sometimes it was like they've only done one thing and here's what they've done. A lot of times it's what they've done most recently. To call him a Fangio guy is simply to say the only thing that matters is what he did in 2021 and 2022. We'll completely disregard 2023. We'll disregard the fact that 2019 and 2020, he was under Mike Pettin. We'll disregard what he did at Texas A&M under uh, Jimbo Fisher and 2017 under Brian Kelly, which interestingly enough, the reason he went from one to the other is the defensive coordinator. So in 2017, he was under Brian Kelly, right? Really well-known, well-respected guy. But the defensive coordinator in 2017 for Notre Dame was a guy by the name of Mike Elko. Mike Elko, after 2017, went to Texas A&M and he brought along Christian Parker with him. But you still have two different teams with two different, you know, philosophies. And then again, after that, you have Mike Pettin. Then you have Vic Fangio, which don't get me wrong, that is, that is fantastic to be able to learn under a guy like Vic Fangio. And by the way, not just Vic Fangio, but Ed Donatel, who was the defensive coordinator. Then the next year, you have Ajiro Evero who a lot of people would say is probably a better Fangio than Fangio. A younger, more versatile, this, that, or the other. But you know who else was there? Dom Capers. He was a senior defensive assistant. So obviously he's working with Dom Capers. This is, this is a heck of a crash course for a defensive mind. And then in 2023, you have Vance Joseph. Very different defensive philosophy. And the cool thing about it is Vance Joseph wanted to find ways to incorporate his defense but also marry the Fangio scheme with it. And guess who he went to, to to help work that out? It was the DB coach, Christian Parker. He was the one that brought the whole thing together. And apparently, if you look at the Denver Broncos, the theme was they were a really bad defense. Like I, I heard somebody talk about, oh, yes, yeah, so you want to poach a, a 32-year-old from the defense that gave up 70 to Miami. That's real smart. Well, apparently, it took some time to figure out how to blend these two things together. And so later in the season, it got significantly better. Now, they did give up 42 to the Lions, but if you look at after week five, their defense gave up 19, 17, 9, 22, 20, 12, 22, 7, 42, 26, 9, 27. So aside from the 42, there's really nothing egregious. I mean, 26 and 27 isn't great, especially when you factor in it's the Patriots and the Raiders. But I mean, it's 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 very little points have been given up. So they, they did get better, including the Packers, which, by the way, another thing, if you want to look at like who the Packers could be targeting, go look at the Green Bay Packers and find out who we struggled against. That's one of the biggest things that's going to be working against you know the Dan Quinn disciples, as much as you, know, you might have respect for Dan Quinn and all that kind of stuff. But if you're an offensive guy and you're calling plays and it's not hard for you to beat Dan Quinn's defense in Dallas, it's hard to justify getting a you know wish.com version of Dan Quinn who already you don't think does a very good job in and of himself. But you look at the Denver Broncos, and it's like, this should have been a game that we just ran all over these guys, and we didn't score any points. Now, granted, we weren't scoring a lot of points against anybody in that period of time. We scored 20 against the Lions, 18 against the Saints, 13 against the Raiders, 10 against the Vikings, 20 against the Rams, 19 against the Steelers. We didn't start scoring points until essentially week 12 against the Lions. But still, that was in that period of time where Denver was really doing a good job defensively. And, um, you know, almost every single one of their wins actually did come on the backs of their defense. They had two wins in which the off, or in which the other team scored more than 20 points, and one of them was 22. But five of their eight wins came, you know, 17 or less points. So either the defense basically shut the team out, kept them sub-20, or they just weren't going to win. And yeah, I mean, if you look at the total points per game, it's going to suck because they gave up 70 to Miami. 
<laughs> and 42 to the Dolphins, but or to the Lions. You know, and, and, and a lot of the other, I mean, 35 to Washington, 31 to the Jets, 28 to the Bears, but that came weeks two, three, four, and five. That was like the first five weeks of the season, they were giving up like 30, between 30 and 70, but then they really did tighten it up. And again, a lot of that is being attributed to the work that was done by Vance Joseph and uh, Christian Parker to be able to kind of create their defense, which is the other thing about this that I really like. And, And yes, it is true that Christian Parker was essentially trying to integrate the Fangio scheme, which, you know, makes me nervous because, like, I don't want a pure Fangio guy, but what, what I, I think is important is that they didn't implement a Fangio scheme. If they wanted that, they wouldn't have hired Vance Joseph. They wanted to figure out how to implement a hybrid defense. That's incredibly important to me. They weren't looking for a Fangio defense. They weren't looking for a Vance Joseph defense. They were trying to find out how to create a hybrid And that's what I want from a defensive coordinator, a guy that can draw from Vance Joseph, from Vic Fangio, even from Ajiro Ever. I'm not going to pretend they're the same guy. They're not. From that, from Dom Capers, from Mike Pettin, from Mike Elko, from Brian Kelly, from Jimbo Fisher. I know Jimbo's more of an offensive guy, but his defense still has... He's been a head coach for a long time, and so his defenses have identities, just like Brian Kelly and everybody else. The point is, he has gone through some of the most impressive coaching staffs. And what I would want from a guy like that is somebody that has learned a lot of principles from a lot of different guys. This is the whole thing with Jim Leonard, right? Jim Leonard's defense wasn't like this guy's defense that he's repackaged. It was, if you want to understand his defense, you got to understand this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy, which he's taken from. And some guys that he didn't even play under, you know, he's looking at Alabama and Georgia and the things that they're doing and drawing in from that. That's what I want in a defensive coordinator. You could almost say scheme over co- or concepts over scheme. Although I know scheme is important in terms of like having a, a an overall philosophy of how we do things. But the point is, if you genuinely understand all these different concepts, you can draw from them and figure out how to implement them into what you do. So, okay, this is working over here. It's not really compatible with what we do, but how can we either bring a either bring that in or bring in a version of that or some kind of an adaptation to what we do that does that at least in part so that we can have similar kinds of success uh, with our defense. So I absolutely love that aspect of of where he's been and and again hoping that that's what we're talking about. Hoping that if we brought him in it's not because he's a a fangioite because that's such a lazy and stupid view of his career. And if the Packers are doing that, I would be pretty disappointed. Like, well, we want to get like a Fangio guy and he's maybe the next best Fangio guy and he's been here. We like him. Let's bring him in. Like, oh my good Lord, guys. That's so dumb. <laughs> and I've, I've even seen a lot of people on social media talk about, yeah, you know, he, you know, going through like his, the quick hits about him. Like he's 32. He's been with the Broncos as a DB coach. He's also done this, 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 and his scheme is Fangio. Like, uh, no, I mean, maybe, but I hope not. And, and no. And if that's what if that's what how he would define himself and what he wants to do in the NFL, then I don't want him. If you've gone through that level of training and you come out of that saying, "Hey, I'm going to go do whatever Jero uh, Evero does," okay, then you haven't learned anything, and I'm sorry, and best of luck to you. Anyways, I didn't realize how long this was all going on here. Why don't we take our final break? We'll look at the uh, last couple interviews, which I don't even know how long that'll take because we already talked about them. But we'll take a break and we'll be right back. So again, that was what, the 16th, so on 
I think that was on Friday. And it was, again, it was supposed to be a done deal. Nothing happened. So I'm like, all right, I'll wait until tomorrow. Next day, nothing. No reports, no breaking news. Sunday, it's like, well, we got football, but still there's nothing. You're starting to feel like at this point, it must have either fallen through or they're less sure than they were or something. So four days later, it was on Tuesday, Ian Rappaport drops this. The Packers requested to speak with Ravens secondary coach Denard Wilson for their vacant defensive coordinator job, source said. He's also interviewing with the Titans today for their defensive coordinator job, and the Rams and Giants have talked to him as well. So again, let's let's start with this. First of all, requested to speak to. Remember, Christian Parker, this was from Ian Rappaport, have interviewed Christian Parker. That was on Friday. So they're done with their interview on Friday, and on Tuesday, they just reach out to ask for permission to speak to the guy. And then two hours later, Tom Pelissero, the Packers requested to interview Ravens inside linebackers coach Zach Orr for the Green Bay defensive coordinator position per source. Orr is a former Ravens linebacker who is projected as a DC very soon, or has been a close lieutenant to Mike McDonald in Baltimore. All right, so a couple things here. Number one, again, that doesn't bode very well for Christian Parker because they don't seem to be in a massive hurry. First of all, and, and, and who knows when this actually happened. For example, I doubt that this is all being reported um, as it's happening. So, for example, two hours later, we find out about Zach Orr. I really doubt they called about Denard Wilson. And then two hours later, called back and they're like, oh, by the way, what about Zach Orr? I'm sure it happened at the same time. And they were just finding out about this. So this could have been on Monday that we found out about it or, or that they requested it and then they just found out about it on Tuesday. I don't really know. But still, we're only in the requesting to speak to phase. And some of these guys already have multiple interviews. Denard Wilson, for example, on Tuesday was actually physically interviewing with the Titans on Tuesday. And the Rams and Giants have already interviewed him. Now, the, the other thing about this, and, and granted, they, they fired their DC maybe at, at a little bit later of, of a period of time. But they could have requested this a while ago. So it, it, there is a part of me that sort of wonders if maybe the Christian Parker interview went south and they're kind of reopening the book. Like, let's expand this a little bit and see who else is out there because, you know, we need new candidates. I don't know. But all right, so, so these are the two. And, and again, we went through a lot of different Ravens guys that could potentially be like the guy. The strange thing about this is Anthony Weaver was sort of the top dog. So if you look at their coordinators, they, they actually have four of them. You've got Todd Munkin is the offensive coordinator. Mike McDonald is the defensive coordinator. Chris Horton is the special teams coordinator. And then they list Anthony Weaver as the fourth coordinator. He is the assistant head coach slash defensive line coach. So my thought, even though he wasn't maybe my favorite option, is that he would absolutely be the top guy. Aside from Mike McDonald, the actual defensive coordinator, Anthony Weaver would be the, sort of the next in line, you would assume. And then again, down from there, you've got a lot of different guys that I think you could absolutely consider. Chris Hewitt is the pass game coordinator. Zach Orr, inside linebackers coach, which is funny because I, I, I remember when I was going through this and I was looking at stuff and I got to Zach Orr. I should go back to the, the uh, I got to go back and find that podcast because I, I remember not wanting to talk about some of these guys and I'd be like, dude, I kind of like Zach Orr. And I got stuck on the Ravens a lot longer than I actually thought. But Chris Hewitt, based on his title, Pass game coordinator, uh, coordinator slash secondary coach. Chuck Smith, outside linebackers coach. Uh, Denard Wilson, DB coach. And they, they kind of went with the two that seemed the least likely. DB coach and inside linebackers coach. 
They're not interviewing the pass game coordinator or the assistant head coach slash defense uh, slash defensive line coach. So I do find that very interesting, especially as popular, for example, as Denard Wilson is. He's been a coach for 12 years. I mean, granted, he's not just the corner coach or the safeties coach. He's the DB coach, which is, you know, I suppose a step up. But they technically have two of them. You got your DB coach and your secondary coach. But it's just odd that all of a sudden he's getting a ton of a ton of hype and not necessarily Chris Hewitt to, to maybe the same degree. But then if you dig into it a little bit, you can kind of look at it and see that he was actually with Philadelphia in 2021 and 2022 and then came to uh, the Ravens in 2023. And you look at what Philadelphia has done in those couple of years and then again, completely fell off, but he was with the Ravens and the Ravens really ascended. Now, personally, and maybe this is stupid of me, but and I forgot, we'll, we'll, we'll double back in a second here to look at um, some of the Broncos' DBs and, and how sort of unimpressive they actually are. But player development, I don't even want to say the sentence because it sounds so dumb. Player development is important. It's, I think especially if you're a Green Bay Packers coach and you look at sort of the lack of development the Packers defensive players have had, you want that sort of thing. But I just don't want it to necessarily be a central focus of like, for example, you made these linebackers look good. Great. I think Joe Barry did that with linebackers. But that's nothing to do necessarily with your ability as a defensive coordinator. But fair enough, if you really like that attribute of things. Now, I will dispute a little bit on um, Denard Wilson as well as Christian Parker. So Denard Wilson, for example, if you look at it, and I understand the, the Packers watching tape might be different than what you're seeing as far as PFF grades go. It, it might be, you know, hustle. It might be soundness. It might be all kinds of things that maybe aren't showing up in the grades, although you would assume that they would, because if you're fundamentally sound, then you're going to play better, which means your grades are going to be higher. But let's just pretend that's not the case. Their highest graded corner was Ronald Darby, who ranked 38th. That was their only top 50 corner in, on the entire team. You say, what about Marlon Humphrey? He was their fourth highest graded corner. He ranked 63rd. It was actually his lowest graded season of his entire career. That's not boding very well for a brand new DB coach. Now, if you look at the safeties, it looks a little bit better, at least at first glance, but I don't think it's as impressive as you might actually think. Both safeties graded in the top 20. Well, that's obviously fantastic, but there's a couple problems with that. The first problem is Marcus Williams. And that is he had a 74 PFF grade, but he always has that. Last year in Baltimore, when Denard Wilson wasn't there, his PFF grade was almost exactly the same. The year before that, when he was in New Orleans, he had an 80 PFF grade with an 84 coverage grade. And then it was a 79, and then it was an 88. So his two years in Baltimore have been lower, and I see no noticeable change whatsoever with Denard Wilson coming in. Then you have Kyle Hamilton, who is an elite football player. Here's my problem. He went from an 87.6 PFF grade as a rookie to an 87.6 PFF grade uh, in 2023. Literally zero change. I mean, I've never seen two people change less in my life than the two safeties in Baltimore. So I don't necessarily see it as, wow, there was some amazing development there in his one year. Now, maybe they're impressed with what he did in Philly, but why didn't he get a defensive coordinator? I mean, I guess we didn't fire our defensive coordinator, but it's weird that he wasn't getting any DC looks back then. So, I mean, maybe it's sort of a young up-and-comer thing, I guess. He is 41 years old. He is a former player. He was defensive quality control coach for the LA Rams 2012, 13, and 14. Again, I like the whole quality control thing. Then he was a DB coach for St. Louis slash LA Rams 2015, 16. Then he was Jets DB coach. 
then Jets pass game coordinator, DB coach, then Philly DB coach, then Philly pass game coordinator and DB coach, then Ravens DB coach. The other thing I don't like about it, he's never progressed once since 2012. And every time he does progress to pass game coordinator, what happens? He gets demoted for a new team. He never gets past pass game coordinator. It seems like there's an overhaul for the team, like the Jets probably when they moved on to Sala, he got let go and he got picked up by Philly for the exact same job. And then he finally gets a promotion, and then they move, start over with Desai, and he gets a new job as what? Defensive backs coach. He's been a DB coach since 2015. Interestingly enough, though, the other kind of interesting thing, he actually didn't get a start as a coach. He got a start in 2008 as a scout. I find that interesting. I've never really seen a coach with that skill set before. 2008, 9, 10, and 11, he was a pro scout for the Chicago Bears. Now, it doesn't bode well for him that it was the Bears, but it is interesting. I, I just, I, I guess I don't understand it, really. I don't understand the Denard Wilson. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Just in the information I can find, I don't know what that information is. Other than something really clicked in Baltimore, and he was just this really impressive this, that, or the other. I, I don't know. I don't know what it would be. Now, as far as Orr is concerned, and I, I had made a comment recently that I, I wasn't a big Orr fan based on a very, pe- for a very petty reason. And I'll be honest, the petty reason was I saw a video of him talking to the linebackers and it was just like, I don't know, dude, <laughs> I don't, I don't see a defensive coordinator here, but whatever. It's, it's, it's a stupid reason. I just saw it and I was like, I don't know. I just, I don't know if it's going to be a thing. However, let's talk about actual player development here with Zach Orr, because this is important. So first of all, Zach Orr played for the Baltimore Ravens 2014, 15, and 16. He came the very next year. So Zach Orr and and Clayton had posted something on social media that was very cool, very inspiring story. Started from the absolute bottom, worked his way onto the football team, played for three years, and the very next year he gets hired as a defensive analyst. That's kind of a big deal. Does that 2017, 18, 19, and 20. So four years, he's the Ravens defensive analyst. 2021, he's the outside linebackers coach. And then 2022 and 2023 is the inside linebackers coach for the Ravens. So you want to talk about fast rising. He's 31 years old. I love that. Surprisingly, even younger than uh, Christian Parker. Again, maybe it's too early. I don't know, but I'd rather get him too early than too late. Very, you know, fast riser. Uh, multi different, very different... Uh, experiences. I mean, a lot of the same team, which I don't mind the team. I love the culture. But the fact that he goes from an analyst to outside linebackers to inside linebackers. And after just two years, he's getting DC interviews. Again, probably too early. But here's some other things. You want to talk about player development? Let's actually look at the linebackers. I have been making fun of Patrick Queen for a very, very long time. He is pure, unadulterated garbage. And he was, the, he, he was the guy I wanted, full disclosure. I wanted Patrick Queen. I loved Patrick Queen. I think there were other guys that I also liked maybe a little bit more, but I acknowledged how talented, how freakish he was in terms of his movement ability and all that stuff. As a rookie, he had a 29.7 PFF grade, garbage. 2021, it was a 43 grade. That's improvement, still garbage. 2022, Zach Orr takes over as the inside linebackers coach. He has a 70 PFF grade. His run defense went from a 54 to a 64. His tackling went from a 41 to a 52. His pass rush went from a 69 to a 79, and his coverage went from a 35 to a 65. Massive jumps across the board. From 2022 to 2023, he went overall from a 70 to a 73, run defense from a 64 to a 66, tackling and pass rush went backward, but coverage went from a 65 to a 75. So his coverage has gone from 35 to 65 to 75. Now, he's still far from an elite linebacker. Um... 
especially if you look at his his lack of consistency. And I think a lot of the guys that the NFL loves and covets are very much like this. Really high upside. They have some really, really good games and a lot of bad games. But, I mean, he, he has some really impressive games. It's just when he's bad, he's, he's quite bad. But he, he's finally become the guy. And he's only 24 years old, and guess who got that out of him? Zach Orr did. And again, you know, sometimes you can't always know for sure if that was the reason or whatever. But when you see such a, just a flip of a switch from he's garbage, he's garbage. Oh, he's actually pretty good. Oh, you got better again. That's impressive. But here's what else you can do. Look at the other linebacker, Roquan Smith. Another guy that I've said is criminally overrated, constantly overrated. He was always seen as one of the better linebackers in football. He was never good. His grades in Chicago, 66, 52, 67, and 48. That's garbage. Then he had the next year he started in Chicago, he had a 52.6 grade before he went to Baltimore. That was in 2022. Zach Orr is the coach there. Do you know what his grade was in Baltimore? Just looking at the weeks of Baltimore, 86. I mean, the most consistently dominant linebacker. His grades were 83, 54. 64, 92, 74, 65, 84, 67, 74, and 76. He was just good every week with the exception of one below average game. 86 PFF grade. And then the very next year, it went up again. So, well, I shouldn't say that. It it went down technically just for Baltimore. But on the season, he ended with a 72 grade, which is significantly higher than any other year. This year, he had a 78 PFF grade, 72 run uh, run defense, 79 tackling, and 83 coverage. Overall, they ended as the 24th and 16th ranked linebackers. And both of these guys have been graded as bad linebackers their entire careers. Patrick Queen literally being like the worst linebacker in football for two years in a row is now a top 25 linebacker. Roquan Smith, who's graded at best in like the 60s, was the 16th highest graded linebacker and and good in every category. He was a 78 overall, but good run defense, good tackling, and really good coverage. He was never that in Chicago, ever. So, I mean, th- there's, there's a lot of meat on the bone with Zach Orr. It's just a question of, is it too early? But, man, I, again, I mean, he checks every single box for me. Former player. He went through the analyst role. He's been, he's a fast riser. He never keeps a job for too long. I mean, he was the analyst for, for quite a long time. But one year as an outside linebackers coach, and then Baltimore wants him back immediately, which is another great sign, right? The Packers wanting Christian Parker back. They were upset that they lost him, immediately brought him back. Um, that's a great sign, I think. And, and assuming that's what happened, and I think it is. I think they knew they had something special. Again, immediately after he's done as a, as a player, what do they do? They hire him. No break in between whatsoever. No, hey, why don't you go to learn this or that or whatever. He was done in 2016, 2017. They have a, 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 an analyst job for him, waiting. He spends four years breaking down film and learning film. One year as an outside linebackers coach for Jacksonville, and Baltimore immediately gets him back. Nope, we got an inside linebacker job. Come, please come back. He's been doing that for two years, completely turned around two linebackers. And what did uh, Tom Pelissero say in his tweet? Let me read it again. The Packers requested to interview Ravens inside linebacker coach Zach Orr for Green Bay's defensive coordinator position. Orr is a former Ravens linebacker who is projected as a defensive coordinator very soon, very similar to Christian Parker, right? They didn't say that about Denard Wilson. They said it about Parker. It's, it's just a matter of time before he gets that job. But here's the most important part. Or has been a close lieutenant to Mike McDonald in Baltimore. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
Mike McDonald has Anthony Weaver with 12 years of experience is the assistant head coach slash defensive line coach. Chris Hewitt, 12 years of experience, pass game coordinator and secondary coach. He has Denard Wilson, a DB coach with 12 years of experience. And you're telling me his very close lieutenant is Zach Orr, who is the inside linebackers coach with seven total years of experience, only three of which is actually as a position coach and it's linebackers of all things, not DBs, which is corners and safeties, not run game coordinator, which is like everybody, not pass game coordinator, which is almost everybody slash secondary coach. No, the linebackers coach who's 31 years old. Now, and again, maybe this is just him just kind of saucing the guy up because he probably got this um, this scoop from the agent. And so the agent's, you know, trying to juice it up a little bit. But I don't think it's a lie. And yes, coaches have agents. So it's funny because I I, I had completely gotten away from, from the Zach Orr thing. And then as I go th- back through it, I realize like why I got so jacked up about Zach Orr again. And I listen, I don't know what they're going to do. And maybe it is too soon for Zach Orr. Maybe he does not have enough experience. Maybe he's not the right guy for the job. I don't know. Same with Christian Parker. Maybe it's a little too early. But those two guys do get me very, very excited, especially, you know, Parker, especially the more I got to dig into it. You know, when you first look at it, it's like, okay. But um, I mean, Zach Orr is exciting. And if you want to just completely get away from the Fangio scheme, he has no experience with Vic Fangio. In fact, let's go through it and let's start with him as a player because it's essentially very, I mean, it's within the last 10 years. You know, it's actually hilarious. His head coach, same head coach. (laughs) He played for John Harbaugh. His defensive coordinator was Dean Pease and uh, Wink Martindale was his linebackers coach. Wink Martindale was the inside linebackers coach for the Ravens when he was the inside linebacker for the Ravens. That's how recent all of this stuff is. And that was true for all three years that he was there. Dean Pease was the defensive coordinator. Wink Martindale was his linebackers coach. And in 2017, when he was done playing, guess who hired him to be the defensive analyst? You still got Dean Pease as the defensive coordinator. Now, I don't know. It probably had to go through John Harbaugh and some of the other guys as well. But still, 2017 was Pease. 2018, they promoted Wink Martindale to be defensive coordinator. He stayed the defensive analyst. So again, you're doing all the breakdowns and everything. What are you studying? Dean Pease and Wink Martindale. And what's funny is if you, I found this article, this is from PFF. Actually, it's not, it's Falcon Report, but they reported on this thing from PFF um, from 2022. And it's Atlanta's defense ranks in the top two league-wide in uniqueness. Goes on to say, one of Pease's trademarks is the ability to confuse quarterbacks by providing different looks before and after the snap. He was known as one of the most aggressive coordinators in regard to blitzing, etc., etc. So, Dean Pease. Right. Um, Very aggressive, high blitz percentage, very adaptable, likes to confuse all that stuff. That's where he got his start and under Wink Martindale. And the guy that who was who was his inside linebackers coach was so good. He got promoted to defensive coordinator and is now one of the more coveted inside linebackers, despite the fact that he's kind of a head case. Right. (laughs) Like people are really worried about him kind of just walking off the job. But he's so freaking good. It's like, well, it's probably worth it. And then in uh, 2021, that's when he gets his first gig away from being an analyst and is the outside linebackers coach under Joe Cullen. Now, this was obviously the most dysfunctional. This was the Urban Meyer absolute debacle. But how did Joe Cullen go about bringing him in to be the outside linebackers coach? Simple. He was the Baltimore Ravens defensive line coach. He got hired away by the Jacksonville Jaguars, by Urban Meyer, to be the defensive coordinator. And what does he do? 
he goes back and grabs Zach Orr. He says, I want him to be our outside linebackers coach. Now, I don't want to get too carried away with this player development thing because it's not necessarily the case for every single guy. But I want to look at another really um, famous, could have been Green Bay Packer by the name of Josh Allen. Another guy that I was a fan of, obviously he went a little bit earlier, but there was a whole question of like, you know, compared to Rashawn Gary and, and trying to understand how good everybody was. And I think everybody thought Josh Allen was another one that was supposed to be a lot better than than Rashawn. And really his first two years, he struggled. He had a 68 PFF grade. In year two, it was a 69 PFF grade. 2021 was Zach Orr's first year. He jumped up to a 79. Now again, I mean, he, he stayed up after that and continued to get better, but his first big jump came in 2021 in a completely dysfunctional year with Zach Orr as the outside linebackers coach, which be which would be the pass rushers for Jacksonville. And the, and the really great thing about it is his pass rush really didn't improve. His pass rush rate was about the same, actually probably a little bit less. His sacks were a little bit less. His pass rush grade was a little bit higher, went from a 70 to a 71. You know what improved though? Literally everything else. Which again, look at Roquan, good across the board. It's not just, hey, can you do that one thing? Pass rush. Yeah, the pass rush maybe took a half a step back. His run defense went from a 52 to a 69. His coverage went from a 63 to an 82. (laughs) And guess what? That completely plumped. He only had one year where he graded out really well in coverage, which I know doesn't super matter, but it was 2021 when Zach Orr was there. Now, again, maybe that's getting a little too carried away. It could just be a complete coincidence. It's just one year. Who knows? But I don't see a lot of what I see in a lot of other places where you look at it and go, I don't know. I don't really see any noticeable impact. I do see noticeable impact on pretty much everything he touches. Man, I'm getting excited about Zach Orr the more I talk about him. Here's, here's sort of, uh, I think, the final thing. I'm going to play the, the clip that Clayton posted because I think it really speaks to maybe why it's not just complete nonsense that he gets the best out of guys. It's a little bit of a longer clip, but I am going to play it in its entirety because, again, it's, this is the point. So this is kind of his journey um, with the Ravens. It's 2014. You're about to go undrafted. But your phone is going to ring, and it's going to be the Baltimore Ravens. The odds will be stacked against you to make the team from day one when you walk in the building. But you have the mindset, the support system to make it. Now it's up to you to use that and give it your all. The battle will be tough. The practices will be long. Training camp will be the toughest thing you'll ever have to do. You'll get chewed out, but you'll bounce back and go on to make the squad. You'll be soon a success story as being one of the only three undrafted free agents to make the squad in 2014. You'll go on to playoffs and be part of the Baltimore Ravens team to get their first ever win in Pittsburgh in the playoffs. You'll come back in 2015 with a mindset knowing that you can make the squad because you've done it before. You go through the season, you play in none of the special teams at first, but midway through the season, the coaches will come to you, ask you to take on a bigger role with a bigger role becomes bigger expectations. Now the coaches expect you to continue to excel on special teams, but now they want you to excel on defense as well. Your role on defense won't be a starting role, but it'll be an important role. The 2015 season will end how nobody would want it to end. You'll finish 5-11, and 11, but you have the confidence that you could become a starter in this league. In the offseason, you have your mindset on becoming a starting linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens. In mini camp, training camp, in the preseason, you'll be in heated competition for the starting inside linebacker spot. Towards the end of camp, you'll be named a starter. 
you've achieved your goal, but so much more is ahead for you. You want to prove that you could be a star in this league. You'll go on throughout the 2016 season. You'll lead the Ravens in tackles and finish top 10 in the league. You'll go on to become an all-pro football player, all-pro linebacker. You have accomplished what you have set out individually, and the future's looking real bright. Over these past three years, you were able to play for the best organization in the National Football League. This organization helped you grow not only as a player, but more importantly, as a man. You was able to have teammates that you would call lifelong friends, coaches that you can call lifelong friends. One thing you'll never forget is coming out of the tunnel first when they're naming defensive starters and just hearing the crowd cheer for you as you run out and hear your brothers, your teammates cheering for you, knowing that you're about to go to war with them and try to get a victory. You'll never forget coming out with the linebackers out of the tunnel, you know, doing the chant. You'll never forget that. You'll never forget that the home crowd, when we're rocking, when we're kicking the team's butt, turned into the most vicious home crowd in the National Football League. You'll never forget coming to Baltimore to become a member of the Baltimore Ravens. You'll never forget how the Baltimore Ravens helped mold you from a young man to a grown man. You'll never forget that the Baltimore Ravens helped you mature into a way where you can help others. The city of Baltimore will always have a special place in your heart, and the Baltimore Ravens organization will always be special to you. So a lot of times I listen to this stuff, and it 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 rings as a little bit cheesy. You know, they, they put a camera in your face, and they tell you to say something in, inspirational or whatever, but, I mean, you, you can't fake that. You can't fake being an undrafted free agent with a long shot to even make the team that makes the team in 2014 and and as a special teamer primarily in 2015 makes a very specific goal I'm going to be a starter in 2016 and not only gets to start in 2016 but is the number one linebacker on the team in terms of snaps in terms of tackles and is named second team all pro and unfortunately had to leave because of an injury so he had to retire from the NFL now, he did try to come back, but essentially nobody would touch him because of his injury. But again, immediately the Baltimore Ravens bring him on. Now, something else to think about. How do you go from an undrafted free agent special teamer to second team All-Pro over essentially one offseason? I don't know necessarily that it's your physical characteristics. It's what you got between the ears. And it's effort and hard work. And again, you've got a guy that that is determined to be the best of the best, and he sets a goal and he goes and gets it. Then he decides to be a coach. What does he do? He sits and he grinds for four years studying everything there is to know about defense. Is he ready? I don't know. But this guy's a worker. And, and you know, the funny thing is, again, it was so recent that he played. I mean, this is a guy that played in the NFL in 2016. He was lined up next to C.J. Mosley. He played behind Terrell Suggs and Zadarius Smith and Michael Pierce and Matt Judon, and Elvis Doomerville. Oh, I, I get chills just hearing the names, dude. He had Eric Weddle behind him, and Ladarius Webb, probably the best safety duo that entire year, playing right behind him. The other thing I just love about this, and everybody that comes from Baltimore, especially former players, especially, especially guys who have only really ever lived and bled and breathed Baltimore Ravens football, is if you want to change the culture in Green Bay, Wisconsin, away from what it's been since forever, a guy from Baltimore is going to be the one that does that. And again, hearing him talk about the brotherhood and the family and just the envi- and just the culture of it all, I want that in Green Bay. And as much as I love a good tactician and a guy that wants to be smart and basically uh, 
you know, looks at the players and says, don't worry, guys, I'll figure out the smart stuff and you just do the stuff that I say. As much as that's nice, maybe what we need is to bring in a culture and a guy that inspires them to be their absolute best and then finds ways to just unleash them, which is what Mike Daniels has been begging for for years on social media. We got to get a guy in here that's just going to turn them into dogs and then release the dogs. You want a good defense, that's what you need. I can't think of a better guy. Man, I am just becoming a big fan of this whole thing. Anyways, I've promised to do it like three different times and then I keep forgetting to do it. Let me just real quick go back and I want to look at Christian Parker and the guys that he's working with. He's the DB coach. So again, it it doesn't have to be his fault necessarily if things are bad, but I'm just going to go through the DBs and I'm just going to read their grades. Patrick Sertan, who was considered by some apparently to be one of the best corners in football, 69 PFF grade, 64.7 coverage grade. Justin Simmons, 69.7 grade, 63 coverage grade. Fabian Moreau, 62.4, 62.9 coverage. Uh, Jaquan McMillan, 68.4, 62.1 coverage grade. PJ Locke, 64, 55 coverage grade. Kareem Jackson, 67, 76 coverage grade. Damari Mathis, 35, 36 coverage grade. I don't know how much for, I mean, I I guess the only other guy that is worth mentioning, uh, Delarin Turner-Yell, 40 and 48 coverage grade. So the highest graded DB, and granted, if you look at the, the defense overall, all the highest graded players are DBs, with the exception of Zach Allen and Baron Browning. Um, but still, none of them are good. Patrick Sertan is the highest graded with a 69 overall grade and just a 64.7 coverage grade. And and believe me, I wanted all this to be true, so I didn't just look at PFF grades. I looked through every single stat I could find, and I couldn't find any way to put any Denver Broncos near the top of any DB lists. If you look at overall PFF grade, the highest graded corner is Sertan, who ranks 44th. Not even one in the top 32. Coverage grade, the highest ranked is Patrick Sertan, 66th. 66th. That means they don't have a number one or a number two. 64.7 grade is the highest graded corner on the entire team. Most interceptions by any of their guys is McMillan with two. Patrick Sertan and Fabian Moreau have one. So there's four by corners total. However, if you look at touchdowns given up, then uh, Mr. McMillan ranks fourth. He's given up eight touchdowns. That's to say fourth worst. Let's look at a couple other metrics here. How about forced incompletion percentage? Patrick Sertan was their best. He ranked 62nd. 12% of the targets he forced an incompletion. So that's kind of like pass breakups, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, Snaps per target. The highest is uh, Fabian Moreau. He ranked 30th. Snaps per reception. Fabian Moreau was the highest at 47th. If you look at NFL passer rating when targeted, their best was Fabian Moreau, 43rd. Again, it's just there's nothing here. I mean, if you if you look at the safeties, Justin Simmons ranked 21st in forced incompletion percentage, which compared to the corners, I guess, is great. Pass breakups, he's 13th, which again, it's not elite, but it's better than. Um, if you look at their coverage grades, for example, the highest is Justin Simmons, with he ranked 56th. After that is P.J. Locke, who ranked 90th. If you look at passer rating when targeted, Justin Simmons ranked 49th. I'm just going with the highest graded guy or ranked or stat guy, whatever. Um, Simmons did have three picks, so he tied for 11th. 
snaps per target. Uh, the highest was, again, Simmons, who ranked 40th. And then snaps per reception, he ranked 38th. So, I mean, none of them were good at stuff. And again, I'm not, that doesn't have to be his fault, but it's hard for me to look and just be like, oh yeah, he made things so much better. And remember, he's been there a while. He's been working with the DBs since 2021. What have we seen from PJ Locke? Nothing. I mean, aside from him getting more snaps, which we could interpret to mean he's been getting better, no growth. What about Justin Simmons? Well, it seems like he peaked in 2019. He was at a 91. Then in 2020, it was a 77. Then 2021, when Christian came on board, he went down to a 75, then a 71, and this year was a 67.9. What about Fabian Moreau? I mean, he's only been there for a year, but um, better? No. Better than the last two years, but not since 2020. So he's kind of the same guy he always has been. What about Patrick Sertan? Well, he took a huge jump from year one to year two and then took a big jump backwards this year. 66 to 87, back to 69. And he only had one game where he graded out positive. That was week one, 82.2. Every other game was below... Oh, I'm sorry. Every game except one, the Jets, 70.2, was below a 70. That's not great. And again, new defense, new defensive scheme. I get all that. Maybe that's part of the problem. Whatever. I'm just saying I don't see it. Uh, McMillan, however you say his first name, was there any growth there? He went from a 68.3 to a 68.4. I'm going to go ahead and say no. Uh, Damari Mathis, he went from a 65 to a 35. So, look, I, I like Parker and I like Orr. I worry about both of them in terms of maybe being too inexperienced. If I have to pick, I think it's Orr by a mile. Now, I do like that Parker has more experience to draw from. But I think the fact that he may be getting hired to be a Fangio guy or maybe they want to lean a little bit more on the Fangio experience than anything else makes me nervous. And again, it's for me anyways, really hard to not love the culture in which Orr comes from. Not to say that Fangio isn't a hard-nosed guy or Brian Kelly or whoever, Mike Pettin for that matter. But I don't know. I respect Baltimore and what they've done defensively. I love what Orr's been through. I love the very evident player development, which again, I don't know that that translates to everything, but it could very well speak to his ability to motivate and inspire and get the best out of guys. And if he can apply that across the board, and I would love for him to bring maybe some Ravens with him, not necessarily players, although I'm not opposed to that, but also maybe potentially other coaches, if they'd be willing. You know, they got Chuck Smith, who's just cutting his teeth with the outside linebackers. You got some of those defensive quality control guys. Who knows? Maybe, they, uh, maybe they're ready, especially a guy like Daniel Stern. He's been doing it for a while. I don't know, man. I just like it. I, I guess the bottom line is if the Packers determine he's not too young and he is ready, he's at the top of my list. I can't make that determination. I don't know. I can't speak to him, and if I could, I wouldn't know the questions to ask. But if they determine he's ready... I think Zach Orr is probably my guy. So that's going to go ahead and supersede me watching him talk to his linebackers and being like, nah, that seemed lame. (laughs) Friggin' weak, bro. So I think those are my top two guys right now. Again, that assumes that they're ready for the job. So if they get hired, then I'll assume that that was the case anyways, and we'll we'll be happy with it. After that, I don't really know. I'm very iffy on Denard because he hasn't really made that jump. Although I think you can say the same thing about Wink Martindale. He was kind of up and down for a long time. He got a DC job. It failed miserably. He went back to being like an inside linebacker coach for a long time with the Ravens and then finally got a a crack at it again. And it was like, oh, he's really freaking good at stuff. Sometimes it's just time, I guess, but I don't know. 
Anyways, I'll leave you guys with that. You have a good rest of your day. I will talk to you tomorrow, tonight, whatever. Have a good one. Bye-bye.